Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Clayton Soltz. He is a actually effective January 1st, 2024. He will take office after he recently won his campaign, his race for city council in Jonesboro, Indiana. He was elected as a libertarian. Really appreciate Clayton coming on the show today. If you're a fan of the Kelly Patrick Show, I ask that you please send some referrals the way of my sponsors. The title sponsor of the show is Louisville Combat Academy, located at 7908 Beulah Church Road, Louisville, Kentucky, 40228. They have a great MMA program, but also, even if you aren't planning on fighting in the cage, they have a great jiu-jitsu program for adults, female-friendly classes, and a great kids program also. Check out Louisville Combat Academy. Heidi Solars Coots. Heidi is a licensed clinical social worker and licensed clinical alcohol and drug counselor, specializing in treating anxiety, depression, trauma, and addiction with a mindful and holistic approach. Heidi is actually my mother, and I can attest she is a saint. Call her at 502-457-1823. Virtual and telephonic appointments are available anywhere in the United States. Veercast Digital Media. Veercast Digital Media at veercast.com. Matt McCarthy runs Veercast, and he is also the producer for The Kelly Patrick Show. They do video production, aerial drone photography, web design, and podcast production. Contact them at info at veercast.com to start your own video show or podcast. Also, my health insurance practice, Benefits Analysis Corporation. Based in Troy, Ohio, I work from my Louisville, Kentucky office. I can help anyone in the United States with their health insurance needs. I'm an independent broker for health insurance solutions for individuals, families, Medicare eligible individuals, and also groups. I can also write life insurance, and long-term care. If you want to support the podcast, please send me some referrals. 502-386-0978. Welcome to the Kelly Patrick Show. Thank you so much for tuning in. In today's episode, I am joined by Clayton Soltz. Clayton is in Jonesboro, Indiana. Of course, I'm located in Louisville, Kentucky. Jonesboro, I believe, is about an hour or so north of Indianapolis, so maybe three and a half, four hours-ish from Louisville. But Clayton recently won a position on the city council for Jonesboro, Indiana. And of course, that's the reason I'm interviewing him today. Clayton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for having me. You know, we started to have this conversation prior to recording, and I said, shit, this is an interesting topic. Let's just cover it on air. You were asking me politely, not in a demeaning, like, I've never heard of your show, or no, not in a rude way. You were like, what kind of audience does your podcast normally consist of? Which is a fair question. I, and I, I'm a broken record, so sorry to make this about me, but um, I was raised Republican, born in Ohio, raised in Kentucky since I was seven years old. And I always knew gay, you know, gay people getting married wasn't a big deal. My, my Republican father always told me that. And he always told me weed was no big deal, too. Republican white business owner father always made it clear not to disrespect African-Americans, not to disrespect gay people, and that marijuana was no big deal. And I'm not exaggerating, guys. That's the household I was growing up in. But we're Republican, okay? So I was exposed to 
in my eyes, a great man, my father, um, and his brothers and my brother and, you know, Republican white guys who were not bigots at all. So when Trump came along, I'm 40 now, but when Trump came along in 2016, I honestly, I, people were saying, he's racist, he's racist. And I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I bought into the Trump hype and I voted for Trump in 2016. I had voted for Republicans every presidential election prior to that, that I was ever eligible. Always knew I was maybe a little different than some Republicans, but I didn't put my finger on it. Voted for Trump. He was going to drain the swamp. Everything was great. But then COVID happened, and I started looking at some of the numbers. And the one thing that got me was the, de- the debt, the national debt, the CARES Act. He was mocking Thomas Massey, who's, of course, a Kentuckian. And I had a epiphany-type moment like, what the fuck is going on here? I don't think I'm Republican anymore. I don't know. I mean, if that's what a Republican is, a giant hypocrite means that my father and all Republicans I know claim to endorse, and I'm not calling all of them hypocrites. They would say, yeah, we need to cut spending, and I'm not saying anything negative about specific people, but is that really what I want to stand for? So I had an epiphany moment where I was like, what the fuck is this? And so come 2020, I had a podcast Started in 2017, but thanks to this podcast, which I almost have 700 episodes of, in 2020, when all this shit was going down, I was not only able to start to learn about libertarianism, I think originally thanks to Peter Schiff through the Joe Rogan experience, maybe Dave Smith through the Joe Rogan experience, I think, but because of that, I was able to immediately start interviewing Spike Cohen. I interviewed Joe Jorgensen. I interviewed, um, you know, Larry Sharp and and a bunch of uh, who was the one guy out of California, uh, Gray Judge Jim Gray, and all these uh, libertarians that I got to know. I got to listen to their podcast inter- interviews online, and then I got to interview them. So I got real involved in it. Um, my I'm, I'm more anti-war today than I've ever been in my life. Um, that's where I'm at. Okay, Clayton, you tell me, that was my backstory. How old are you? What is your, so, so, so to answer your question, actually, I don't know who's listening. I have interviewed a lot of libertarian people. I would say most of the time my friends lean to the right. They probably don't like some of my episodes. That's fine. They don't have to listen. Um, what's your story? How I'm not old... the first libertarian they'll hear from. No, That's you good. are not. Actually, I have multiple libertarian episodes. I, I've even tried to, ha- to uh, represent libertarianism in a bad way. I, I interviewed, um, who is it? He's not even a libertarian anymore, but Augustus Invictus, the guy who spoke at the Unite the Right rally. At one point, he called himself libertarian, and I got him uh, on the podcast. Chris, What's that? Chris Cantwell? I have not had him on. I have not. Oh, Although I would like to. Have another one like that. Yeah, I have, I have tried to reach out to people like that. I'm curious. If some libertarians are actually bigots and racists, if they are, I'm sure they are somewhere, I'd like to know about it. I don't, you know, I'm curious. I'm not trying to hide away from it. I say that I'm a, a right-leaning libertarian, and I'm not ashamed of that, and if someone has a problem with it, they can fuck themselves. That's who I am. But if that means that people think I'm a racist, then I want to know about it. So I've interviewed tons of libertarian people. Clayton, what's your story? How old are you? What's your political journey? Yeah, and Chris Cantwell is another one who's left libertarianism, now calls himself a white nationalist. But, um, yeah, people are free to be bad people. Um, that's, 
that's pretty much un- unfortunately people are bad people and you can't just shoot someone because they're bad um, and say bad things. Um, but yeah, I'm 28 years old, uh, was, you know, raised more or less conservative, very Christian home, conservative home, still strong Christian involved in my church. Um, you know, uh, I won't be swearing much in this interview, but I, I am friends with a lot of people who do, so that doesn't make me super uncomfortable. So that's fine. How, um, how old are you? And I'm 28, 28. Okay. So, so and, you, you uh, are active in the church. You're a religious person. Yeah, very. That's the most important thing about me, and I, I uh, you know, I'm a libertarian because I think it most consistently um, follows God's uh, will for government and men interacting with other men and respecting another man's dominion over creation that God gave us. You know, He gave you Kelly dominion over yourself and over the the land around you as a man made in him, His image, and it's unless you're hurting someone else made in His image, I don't have the right to step on that dominion. Um, you know, I have my own dominion, you better back off of it and you have yours. Um, but anyway, uh, I was in college learning economics, got an economics degree and it's hard to learn economics. It's hard to learn economics and not become a free market libertarian. Wait a second. For you, it was hard to, is that an accurate statement that it's, it's hard not to learn economics and become a libertarian? Is that consistent with other people or is that just you Clayton? I mean, I think it's consistent on it. At the undergraduate level, at the graduate level, you have your Paul Krugman's, you have your uh, modern monetary theory where they will try to explain away all of the things that your fundamental economics from 150 years ago will teach you. They have these new super complicated math equations that from 50 years ago that say, oh, yeah, John Baptiste Stay is stupid for this reason and, you know, Mises is stupid for this reason. But I think – a basic understanding of supply and demand and free trade and things like that. It's hard not to become to at least lean on the liberty side when it comes to to uh, economics. And then once you get into that, it's easy to become the rest of libertarian. So I was a Rand Paul guy in 2016 in college, and then I saw how they just completely laughed him out of the room for saying things that everyone should believe about liberty and free markets and all these things. And so I was like, okay, well, if Rand Paul is this unwelcome in the Republican Party, and I consider myself far more radical than Rand Paul was, then clearly I need to look elsewhere. So that's when I joined the Libertarian Party. I'm now the secretary of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, um, and I am now an elected Libertarian official, and I don't ever intend to really go back. Um, What you said was interesting, though, about parties and are you a Republican anymore – um, you know, there's 350 million people in America. That means 350 million different political persuasions. Parties inherently are coalitions, right? Of These are people that we agree on things that are important to me, and I think that this is beneficial. We agree enough that I want to partner with them to accomplish the things I want, to, to try and help build the kind of society I want. But which is fine, and people will accuse libertarians of saying, why aren't you joining the one coalition that even talks like they appreciate liberty? Like if you talk to Democrats, at least when they're on stage, they don't even really even appeal to liberty. Whereas, you know, Ronald Reagan's speeches and Donald Trump, you'll sometimes hear them talk about liberty or whatever. But if you're going to be cynical like that and just boil it down to coalitions, well, I'm a part of coalitions that help me and that do what they say they'll do. And COVID, more than anything, showed that yeah, they talk like they're part of a liberty coalition, but they don't believe it. Once they're in office, they just, you know, that accelerate that line just line go up, you know, as far as debt and deficit and government growth, 
And, you know, at some point, I'm not going to be lied to anymore. And, like, even if I don't think the Libertarians can win the presidential race in 2024 or whatever, like, I'm just going to go along for the entire rest of my hopefully 80 to 100-year life in this coalition pretending like they're fighting for something that they're not. Very well put. I do have a, a parallel, okay? To you, tell me if this makes any sense. It might not. To you, to have an understanding of economics, the foundational parts of economics should make you a libertarian. That's your interpretation of the undergraduate studies, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to make a parallel. I'm a Catholic. Sounds like you, you attend a Christian church. My interpretation of the Bible, of everything that Jesus ever said or did, is, and I know you're a local city council member, so foreign policy is off the, I mean, there's, it's not as relevant, but my interpretation of the Bible and everything Jesus ever said or did is the opposite of the United States war machine. What do you think of that? More. What do you think of that parallel as a man who would not will not cuss on the episode and you're very into church? What do you think of my parallel? Yeah, I, I mean, I think people try to compartmentalize their lives, and I don't think that's healthy. Um, you know, a, a human should be integrated, and uh, my faith is the most important part to me. And I, I I considered politics and faith two separate parts of me that never really intersected. And uh, like a couple years ago, I was like, I, I have to make this fit. I have to make it work. And I'm not saying that the only good Christians are Republicans. The only good Christians are libertarians. You know, I think there were many people in the Soviet Union that were communists that uh, could still be good Christians. I, I, you know, that's not the most important part. But I do think if you look into, you know, human rights based on Christianity and how government should run, you'll become something like a libertarian. I mean, there's there's specific things that, you know, we might not totally agree with. But yeah, definitely nonviolent anti-war stuff is, is pretty good. I mean, uh, it, it isn't an accident that a lot of early Christians were pacifists. And a lot of Christians today aren't pacifists, but you do have to kind of work around some awkward passages if, you know, you, the kind of assumption when you just read the Bible is like, oh, Jesus was a pacifist and thinks we should be too. So, um, I mean, I think there's a good case you can defend yourself and even defend your country. But yeah, going in empire building in Iran or Syria or Iraq uh, doesn't seem uh, compatible with the gospel to me. Um, But I I do want to touch on what you said, that foreign policy isn't relevant. I think this is a big issue that people have had with local elections and a big change that the Mises Caucus part of the Libertarian Party is trying to change. And the people that I ran with run as libertarian.com. They endorse me. They gather a bunch of volunteers from around the country and try to help raise money and do events and things for people running locally in winnable elections. But there's this idea that we have that local politics is different than um, national politics, which is true. People think the only hope, you know, they talk about, oh, I wish we could just go back to the Constitution. Oh, I hope the Supreme Court rules on this. It's like, no, the way to make sure that the federal government is not tyrannical is to have state and local governments stand up and say, no, screw you. You cannot do that. That's not in the Constitution. For example, the one thing I always use in COVID, you know, everyone's supposed to, you know, stay six feet apart. You're not supposed to be on playgrounds or whatever. In my little town of 1,500 people, they put yellow police tape up around the children's playground. Like, what kind of Saturday morning cartoon villain do you have to be to shut down playgrounds? 
um, even well into 2021 when we knew this wasn't hurting kids. It wasn't Joe Biden that came and put that tape up. It wasn't even someone from Indianapolis. It wasn't a Democrat from Indianapolis that put that tape up. It was some normie in my hometown that was like – that might not even agree with it. It was like, oh, I guess we got to do it because that's the law. It's like, no, they don't have any right to do that. You have rights as a local elected official. You have power to enforce these things or not enforce these things. If the state police wants to come and put it up themselves, that's fine. I'm not going to stop them. But make them go. Make them go into every little town in Indiana and shut down those playgrounds if that's important to them. And the reality is they won't. It's the same logic that we as gun owners have in the United States. Like, look, if they come to your house, if the whole weight of the government comes to your house and tries to swat you and stop you and take your kids from you because you're a radical, you can't stop them realistically. But because there's 200 million gun owners – that makes it hard and not worth it. That make, There's a limit on how much they can oppress you and it, because there's a lot of us. And we have this mistake that you know, the federal government is just self-contained and the states are self-contained and the local is self-contained. It's like, no, the role of leaders at this level is to look upward and call out corruption and not listen to it. It's the same in anything. In a school, if the principal is doing something really wrong, the teachers should not listen to it. If the general orders a colonel to do something evil, the colonel should not listen to it. By the same token, if a state is ordered to do something by the federal government that is unconstitutional or evil, then it has the duty to stand up against it. And you look at things like the Defend the Guard movement. I'm, I'm almost done. I'm sorry. I'm talking a lot. But uh, there's this movement called Defend the Guard where they're going to states and having states say, we refuse to have our National Guardsmen serve overseas when Congress has not declared war. We've agreed to a constitution that says Congress has to declare war. You only get our National Guard when Congress has declared war formally. That's something that you can do without having to rely on the Supreme Court or the federal government to be anti-war. That makes foreign policy matter at the state and even local level. Wow. Okay. What are some good examples? I'll say one. Here in Louisville, Kentucky, during COVID, Andy Bashir, who just won re-election recently, a Democrat uh, governor, ruled to shut down restaurants. We just, we don't know what's going on. We want to be safe. You know, he shut everything down. There was a Cuban-owned restaurant in Louisville, owned by Fernando, a guy who escaped communist Cuba. <laughs> and he was like, fuck that. And he not only he said fuck that and stayed open, but he was very vocal about it. Is that a good example of the type of heroism you are, uh, uh, or maybe is that heroism? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's. I'm not saying that it's wrong if you don't do that. Um, there are that you have to be wise, you know, wise as serpents. Jesus told his followers to be. So I'm not saying that you know, oh. You know, I shouldn't pay taxes because that's wrong, and I'm just going to stand up to the federal government. Like, if nothing else, that's just stupid because they'll come and take everything from me. you. Like, don't be dumb. Um, but yeah, where you can stand up, I think it's good if you can. You know, and that one guy, you know, that's one thing. He'd be easy to shut down. But again, imagine if a whole city, and it doesn't even have to be openly, just quietly, they never send their cops to people who keep their businesses open, and that just kind of gets around town. I mean, maybe there will be a state cop that will roll through and think it's weird that he sees things open. Maybe he'll report them. Maybe not. And if he rolls through five cities, 
or 10 or 15 cities where like, yeah, there's a lot of businesses open. Like, what are they realistically going to do? If they're going to be tyrannical, don't just roll over. Make them put your hands behind your back and tell you what to do. You know, like, make them use their authority. Make them call you out publicly. Part of the problem is, you know, conservatives for 100 years, federal government passes a law, and Republican governors will, governors will go, raw, that's unconstitutional, that's not right. And then they sign the order to have their state policemen go enforce that on every grandma on the street that isn't doing X, Y, Z, or is doing X, Y, Z. It's like, no, don't sign the order. The state police answer to you, not Joe Biden. Have Joe Biden send his men and spend his money to enforce if it's that important, or at the state level, or whatever. And that's what that's what nullification is. That's what being a free citizen in a free country means. What does it and mean? And a leader oh, sorry. of government in a free country. Sorry, yeah, I, but... The, the whole point being, it's even more powerful if you take it from the individual level to the local level. If you have whole cities or towns that are, again, not in open rebellion, not, you know, kicking feds out, not going crazy, but just like these little things, it's like, no, this is within our discretion. We refuse to do that. That's how you start making a difference. It sounds like you think the Second Amendment's a pretty big deal. Of course. I mean, in a way, it's not. Because it's a God-given right, and if they took away the Second Amendment tomorrow, it doesn't change anything. There's still 250 million or whatever gun owners in the United States. It's a God-given right, and they are not going to be able to take it. Mm, there's a great there's okay. a great man by Michael Malice. He's like, the, the, the best thing to ever happen for gun rights is 3D printing. It's like, if they – we'll just print more guns. If they come take them all – like – whether or not they think it's right, whether they want to pass a law or not, it literally does not matter because we will be able to get guns regardless. Guns are prolific in the United States, and there is nothing they can do about that unless we let them. So, yeah, it's, a great, it's great that it's uh, enshrined in law. Um, I don't think it works. I don't think that's the thing keeping them from trying to take everyone's guns. I think it's the guns trying to take everyone's guns. If there were 10 million gun owners, they would find a reason to take everything except a little water pistol and only have it in cops, and they'd call it, well, it's because of the militia and well-regulated and blah, 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 and the Supreme Court would have arguments. Like, they would find a reason. They do not respect the Constitution. This is the fundamental thing about, like, me and the Mises Caucus and this whole nullification thing. Words have no power by themselves. Men have power. Words don't do things. Men do things. And word or women, men in the old sense of people. Words only have power insofar as they drive people to do things. So the fact that it's written down, oh, you have freedom of speech, that means nothing. Because Barack Obama published a kill list in the New York Times of American citizens that he was trying to kill because of their political positions. It does not matter that the Constitution said that because nobody stopped him. He could just do it. There's the, the entire Constitution, as conservatives have been saying for 100 years, has been all but ignored by the federal government. Words don't have power unless people give them power. It is people who are politics. It is people that have power. And unless the people or institutions made of people, such as states, stand up to defend the Constitution, the Constitution is not going to defend itself. They're just words, just like this conversation. North Korea has a Constitution. The Constitution means almost nothing unless the people stand up for it. 
You have referenced the Mises Caucus a few times. For the sake of a listener who's tuning in because he likes the Kelly Patrick Show for very, very, very low-level amateur local MMA, that's why he's tuning in. He has no idea what the Mises Caucus is. Clayton, could you please explain what is the Mises Caucus? Why is it important? Why should we care? Right. Well, um, I'm a member of the Mises Caucus. It's an internal faction of the Libertarian Party that recently took over. Um, you know, the the Libertarian Party is over 50 years old. They had very specific ways of doing things, specific strategy, specific messaging that um, a lot of people were upset with. And particularly in the COVID years, we felt that the the messaging from uh, the National Libertarian Party and Joe Jorgensen in particular and people in her orbit were rather weak and ineffectual. Um, and so it's a organization of people that now lead the National Libertarian Party and a couple state parties. Um, it is not in power in Indiana, and I am a known Mises Caucus member in Indiana, and the chair is a known um, disliker, but we get along just fine. I think Indiana is doing great things. It's not that everyone that isn't a Mises Caucus and Libertarian Party is being ineffectual or doing bad things, but um, I think the leadership was not doing good things. And the Mises Caucus focuses a lot on radical messaging and the importance of local power and nullification and in a radical anti-war free market message. So like that's, that's some of our, our four pillars. It's like anti-war, radical free markets, radical messaging. And how do we accomplish that? It's not by going and getting 2% by, you know, playing the middle in a presidential race. It's by winning these local races and doing a long march through the institutions to try and build these coalitions and slowly make the Libertarian Party viable. Because look, man, people say, oh, you should vote for Trump or you should vote for Biden because they're worse this year. That is so focused on this year. At least for me, I have 60 years worth of presidential elections I have to worry about. I need to not only make sure America is as good as it can be in 24 to 28, I have to worry about 28 and 2040 and 2060 and 2080. And it is for the last hundred years, people saying this is the most important election of our lifetime. Oh yeah. I don't like these people either, but this guy is a little better than this guy. So you have to vote for him. And that's just bad game theory. It's like you're, you're putting all your chips in one basket for this election and you just keep marching down this road towards tyranny because you think this guy is just slightly better. We need to try and do what we can to make the world better for our people in 2060. The communists did that in the 30s, and now every kid under 25 is a communist. They won because they played the long game. We need to play the long game. We need to start educating people and getting these local coalitions. We can't hop right to the presidency you know, just by having a good Twitter account. You use those big names to get the ideas out and grab people, and then once people are grabbed by the ideas, you funnel them into these institutions, this infrastructure at a state and local level where they can get involved in winnable races that can actually make a difference in people's lives. When do you take office on um, Jonesboro, Indiana City Council for your seat in Jonesboro City Council? And tell me about that position. What what are your plans uh, uh is it how long is the term? I mean, what what are the details? Right. Yeah. So I, I take office on uh, January the first. Uh, pretty sure it's a two year term. Um, and 
my priorities are um, being open. You know, it's very diff. There's a lot of ordinances that get passed by the city that no one can actually read, and so they get dinged for them. Something they didn't even know about. Um, you know, little fees or fines for things uh, that really ticks me off. Um, we have a big water project going on right now that the state is really being overbearing about and making us pay a bunch of money that I don't think we should have to pay, so I want to be in those negotiations. And this general idea of being a watchdog of like, look, man, there's gonna be there's gonna be a pandemic something. There's gonna be a climate something. There's gonna be something that comes from the feds or the state that is gonna be tyrannical. And we need people that we can trust with good principles in those spots to say no. Um, and even if you're not a majority on the council, my whole thing is just make it harder. That's the whole thing about being a gun owner. Make it harder to come oppress you. Can they stand in a tank and level your house? Of course they can. But that's bad PR. That costs money. That costs time. That costs men. Make it harder. You know, they can't just show up with a smile and a wink and take you away. They have to work on it a little bit. You know, if you're one vocal member of a five-member council, even if they end up passing something, you can object, you can put arguments, you can put newspaper articles, you can do all kinds of things to make it harder. And if they have plans of 15 things that are tyrannical they want to do that year, maybe they can only accomplish 13 because you made it harder politically or via time or whatever. So that's kind of my plan. And then just this idea of showing like you can win races. These people – if Joe Biden's taught us anything, it's that the political class is not impressive. You know, if you're listening to this and you could parse my like high school level arguments and paragraphs, you are smart enough to run a race in your local city. Maybe if it's not a big city, but in a suburb or a small city, you are plenty smart enough to run a small campaign and win or at least make a difference. What are your long term aspirations in the world of politics? I'd love to get into the state legislature someday. Um, if, if that's viable, my wife has pretty much insisted that I can't get into federal anything, um, which is fair. She has that right. Um, we're going to renegotiate once all of our kids are grown up and out of school and maybe we're retired. But, um, yeah, if I, one day, if we could get libertarians viable enough that people would be willing to vote for a libertarian in their state representative or state Senate, um, here in the next, you know, 15 to 20 years, that'd be great. Um, and people say, hey, that's too slow. I, I hate that. I'm sorry. I wasn't around 30 years ago. I, I can only start now. You know, and I look 30 years ago, and I can see what I wish people were doing then, and I have to do that now. That's my responsibility. Who are your heroes in the world of politics? Do, do heroes exist? I've used that word a few times actually already, but am I getting carried away using that word? Yeah, I think it's healthy to have heroes. Um, uh, it's a, Number one, it's inevitable. Even if someone says they don't have heroes, they do. They're just not mm. being honest with themselves. Um, that's just human nature. You're going to try to model yourself after someone because, you, yeah, I'm not, I won't get into that. But um, you have to have a healthy view of them, though, and it's keep them within their space. Obviously, my heroes are you know, heroes of the faith. You know, Jesus Christ and the apostles. But as far as politics go, I love Dave Smith. Um, he's he's one of our best communicators of our message. Um, there's a guy called Bob Murphy. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's an economist uh, and does a podcast. I loved Tom Woods. Um, he's in the Dave Smith view as and then but mostly for me it's economics are my heroes the intellectual people like Ludwig von Mises and Friedrich Hayek um, those are kind of 
kind of my heroes. And I I would love to say Ron Paul. Ron Paul impresses me. He's really cool. But I w- I'm just a little bit too young for Ron Paul. Um, I, I wasn't really paying attention or engaged definitely in the libertarian space when Ron Paul was doing his thing. He was already like – old and we were looking for his replacement by the time i came into the movement so a lot of people of my persuasion say ron paul but i'm just a little bit too young i live in kentucky i've met rand paul i get to vote for him i did vote for him so i should say even though i'm not a um i don't consider myself a republican anymore i'm actually happy to vote for rand paul and if my mother if i live in the house i grew up in about 30 minutes from here I would still be able to vote for Thomas Massey, and I certainly would then also. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. I mean, like I – especially as an officer of the Libertarian Party, I can't say, oh, go vote for a Republican or go vote for a Democrat. But I can't judge anyone for being being pragmatic. Politics – that's politics, baby. You know, you have to do what's best for you. Do I wish we had a Libertarian candidate to run against them that was viable, that was even better? Of course. But it's stupid not to recognize that Rand Paul is by far the most libertarian-friendly senator in the United States. And it's stupid to recognize if that Thomas Massey is the by far the most libertarian-friendly representative in the United States. So, of course, I'm glad when they win over their um, opponents. Like I said, everything is a coalition. You are an individual. No one is going to match your political preferences 100%. You have to find a coalition that you can A, be comfortable with on the positions, and B, you think is effective at making change. And you can make change without winning a presidential election. You know, I I really think the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Movement in general is changing the culture and the conversation, even if we're not winning elections at the highest level because we're winning these low-level elections like me. We're getting on big podcasts like Joe Rogan and Tim Pool. You know, you have to be in a coalition that makes sense to help you accomplish your goals and help make the kind of world you want to live in. I love it. Clayton, I really appreciate your time today. Before we wrap things up, if someone's interested in hearing more of what you have to say, they want to follow you, maybe support you, how can they do so? Yeah, I mean, I have a Twitter, which is just my name, at Clayton Soltz. I'm not super active right now um, because I am looking for jobs. Uh, I'm trying, hoping for a career change, and I don't want to get too radical and turn potential employers away. Um, don't want to make that too political. But uh, support LPIN.org, especially if people listening to you are from Indiana or have family member in Indiana. I think the state party of Indiana is doing great things. Donald Rainwater ran for governor and got like 13%, which is completely unheard of in a race that big and was helping change a conversation. And then runaslibertarian.com. If you believe in liberty, especially if you live in a smaller community, you can run as a libertarian and possibly win in your local. And it's not just looking at, oh, these small little changes, you know, take a 1% local tax to a 0.75. Like you can make a difference on the tyrannical things your state and federal governments are doing by getting power in those small races. And if you live in a big city, you can give money, you can help volunteer, you can connect with people like me who are in winnable races in 24, 25 moving forward. So that's runaslibertarian.com. Sounds great. Clayton, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. God bless you.